Welcome to The Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Today, our very special guest is member of New Club and amateur golf historian, Paul Wellman. Paul, who grew up in the Chicago area, had a short stint as a caddy at Medina, but he didn't pick up the game until after college. He retired from the Board of Trade in 2003 to start a rental business and spend quality time at home with his kids. In recent years, Paul has been consumed with the life and times of Harry Collis, a little-known golf course architect based here in Chicago throughout the golden age of golf course architecture. Without the traditional golf historian pedigree, Paul dove in deep for as much information on Harry as he could. Today, he takes us on that journey to better understand the often untold rising star of golf course architecture. Speaking of rising stars, golf's current rising stars will be returning to the Glen Club for the Evans Scholars Invitational on May 27th through 30th. Make your weekend a memorable one by taking advantage of complimentary general admission, courtesy of Serve Pro of Glenview. If you're looking to upgrade your spectator experience, you can purchase tickets to The Hangar, a premium hospitality venue with food and drink included. Past champion of this event, Scotty Scheffler, has ranked among the PGA Tour's best since winning in 2019, finishing fifth in the FedEx Cup standings last year behind only Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, and John Rahm. He later went on to win Rookie of the Year honors. Believe me when I tell you, I don't miss this event. I love it every single year. It's early spring in Chicago. It's perfect golf weather. And these guys are really good. They're all on their way to the PGA Tour, which has really sped up in recent years. And it's just a ton of fun to see them up close and personal. The Evan Scholars Invitational is also the official partner of The Hangout, our Chicago chapter's first local event of the year. And we hope to also see you and all your family and friends there on May 22nd at Canal Shores in Evanston. Now, without further ado, on to the show with Paul Wellman and the history of golf course architect Harry Collis. Paul Wellman, welcome to The Bag Drop. Thank you very much, Matt. Thanks. Uh, we're excited to have you on today. I, I always get excited when we live up to our tagline we created years ago for this podcast, which is untold stories in golf. And, and a lot of times we don't, but today we are telling a pretty untold story uh, about Harry Collis. Uh, so I, I mean, let's start with Harry Collis, the, the golf professional, the superintendent, the golf course architect. How did you discover this figure? Um, you tell us where this began. Yeah. So <clears throat> in 2019, um, playing golf and have a buddy of mine, Rick Jansky, who um, worked over at Glenwoody Golf Club in Glenwood, Illinois, in uh, high school and in college. And he's a teaching pro over there. And he goes, let's, let's go play the Woody. And uh, I had lived on the south side down in Crete, and I played the course a couple of times. I'm like, yeah, OK, you know what? We'll, we'll go over. When I pulled in, I saw the sign and, and on it, it said established in 1926. And I thought, well, what was going on? What what was happening? And there's a lot of golf history uh, down on the south side there, the, the between Flossmoor and Olympia Fields and Calumet and Ravislow and all those. So, so what was going on? Um, and so, you know, we knew the big name architects, the Tillinghast and the Bendelows and the McKenzies. But um, so I played the course and I got home and um, that was in October 2019. And I Googled him and, and he came up and I was like, wow, OK. And, and then there were a few other things that that kind of came up and he was at Flossmoor. And it's like, well, OK, you know, this is kind of interesting and um, put it down for a couple of days, came back. And uh, found out that he had designed Chickaming Country Club over in Lakeside, uh, Michigan. I've got friends and family that are over there, driven by the golf course, and um, came up that he was a player. And it just started to snowball from there. Um, we got a friend of mine, acquaintance, that's uh, very big into ancestral background. So I said, "Hey, can you can you find out who you know what what was this?" And 
She's like, yeah, you know, he was born in England in 1878 and uh, came to the States in 1899, 1900 and um, married and a couple details, but not, not a whole lot. But I tucked it away and um, just started to come back to it every once in a while, something put down, something to come back, you know, Midwest winter, um, unfortunately, the beginning of the pandemic. So it kind of was uh, the thing that helped me get get through that. And, um, and just and prior to prior to this time, were you a history buff? Have you, you know, done golf research projects before? Um, a, a, a little bit. Uh, I actually um, picked up a, an architect book trying to think maybe, OK, well, what's the what, what what's the designer want me to do on this hole? Trying to think that maybe, I, you know, give, be a better golfer it's all in the swing, but, um, <laughs> you know, so, so I was starting to, but around that time, um, I was listening to the podcast, listen to this one. Um, um, there, I, I remember distinctly one listening to one of Anthony Piapi's, um, he was talking to golf course superintendents and people about, um, restoration and, and digging up information on their golf course. And he said, you know, start with small local newspapers in your historical societies. And, if there's a oral history, talk to people about that. Uh, ancestry. Well, I had already kind of done that. Um, Library of Congress. There's a website, Happy Trust. It's uh, kind of an online um, historical aerials. Uh, give, give a clue. Um, USGA and some libraries and stuff. I'm like, well, I remember like, well, there's the outline. That, okay, what, that's what he does. Let, 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 let me do that. And uh, I had some golf architecture books around the house and um, just the internet, I tell you. And now, free and clear, I'm not a golf historian. Uh, I benefited tremendously by people's previous work and, and just scouring the internet. Um, shortly after that, I got a, a newspaper subscription to newspapers.com and newspaper archives and started digging into that. Um, state historical societies, um, the USGA, um, those people have been fantastic, uh, provide some information. Um, it just started to kind of collect this stuff. And then it was a three ring binder. And then, um, then it became two, three ring binders and, um, one for history and one on golf courses. And, um, it just kind of, just kind of snowballed from there. I, you know, when I first connected with you it was around that time, maybe slightly before uh, you became a member of New Club, we connected, and I actually thought you were, by title, a golf course historian, because you had you had planted this seed on Harry Collis, and you were asking me questions, and I'm like, what the hell do I know? <laughs> You're breaking right. up the wrong tree, pal. But uh, I think that's a really interesting aspect of this conversation is that, you know, all of us who are uh, amateur golf historians to some degree. We have our favorite courses. We have our favorite course architects. We, we have our favorite players from days past and we do our own low levels of research. I know I'm, I'm definitely in that camp. Uh, you are that person and you just took it. You just decided to run with it. And like you said, snowball, um, how did your wife react when you said, yeah, I'm going to dedicate some, some hours of, of the winter to this project. Well, I'm fortunate that um, I, I work out of the house, and uh, so one time she's like, "So this is a this is a this is a dead golfer, right? <laughs> like kind of like." And it's like, "Yeah, but you know." And I kind of shared with her what was going on, and she's like, "Oh, okay." And then later on in in, in this journey, <clears throat> Rick and I went to play a course, and she's like, "So is this a, is this a Harry Collis course, or is this a new club?" So she, she knew, and I said, "No, this is Harry College." She goes, "Oh, well, have fun. You know, see you later." And uh, so she she's kind of accepted it. And uh, and uh, look, I, I don't I don't gamble. I don't have cars. I don't have boats. I don't. You know, this is what I can do. And like I said, I can put it down when I need to, or I can pick it up, research on the phone. And so it's uh, it, it, she she's cool with it. She's cool with it. <laughs> the the um uh, your, your golf research and we'll get to, to Harry, the man himself. But I, I, as a, like I said, amateur golf historian, I, I think about where would I go? You know, where, where would I go? So you listed a couple of them, um, for, for the online information, 
what what it, were you know are you on you on are you on page five of Google searches or what what were your main online resources? So I think <clears throat> the uh, the USGA. If you go to their website and go down to the museum, there's actually a link to their online uh, libraries. Um, they have two <clears throat> and um, tons of stuff that's scanned and you can do a search from that. Um, the Happy Trust, huge online library system um, with, um, if they don't have the article or the book, uh, it tells you what libraries that do. Um, another one is called worldcat.org. Um, that you can search by author or book or subject, and it'll bring up anything that it knows about. You click on that book, and it'll tell you, put your zip code, and it'll tell you the closest libraries that are around. So that's really good for, like, one-off articles or one-off books. It's, um, that's a whole other thing, though, about trying to get interlibrary loans and um, sometimes you have to be a resident of the state and you call up mom and say, can you run down to the library? It's <laughs> a funny story I'll tell about later, but um, that, that, that's big newspaper archive um, sites. Um, I thought I had, I had two really good ones. Another one popped up just uh, last week and I said, oh, I'll subscribe. And sure enough, um, I've been um, seeking information on, it's called Harlem Hills Country Club out in Rockford. It's now Forest Hills. And um, there was the information. Harry Collis was out here. It's got a design. So it, it doesn't end. It just, it, you just kind of keep finding corners and nooks and crannies and, and um, getting people. So um, a lot of states have archives for historical aerials. There's a website, historicalaerials.com, but then a lot of states. So you can go back. Most uh, aerial photography started in by the government 1937, 1938. So that's pretty cool. Go look up your, your home course and, oh yeah, this is what it was like. So uh, those are, those are kind of the, the big ones, the country clubs themselves, um, personalities. Um, you helped me out, you know, kind of told you and uh, you can put me in the contact with somebody over at Beverly. Um, 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 golf yeah. association. So you just, you start going down and then something will pick up and you're like, Oh, maybe I should go call them or maybe I should. Look it down. And, and you mentioned, uh, you, you had some golf course architecture books laying around. Did any of them mention Harry Collis? What, well, what were those books? And did any of them mention Harry Collis? No, they, they were like, um, Tom Doak's book and Mackenzie and, um, nothing, that I had, well, <clears throat> there was one um, book that had a bunch of golf courses. He designed uh, Phoenix Country Club. And that's probably his most, one of his better known courses. Um, and so that, that came up, that was okay. But the, the first thing that really came up was the last thing. And uh, that was his obituary. And um, uh read that and it was a Kruger funeral home over in Blue Island, just south of Beverly. And unfortunately, I know they're still in business. So I reached out to them and uh, they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give us a couple of days. We got a record, you know, and uh, the email popped up and there was a PDF of uh, like his funeral arrangements and where he lived and his age and some of And so that was the first thing that went, wow. Okay. This is, this is here. This is yeah. Cool. So that, yeah. that, led to some other information and then uh, ancestry.com um, I remember looking up and uh, his World War one draft card was there with his signature on it and that was like the first thing that I saw like wow okay there's there's this so when you start to piece these things together there's kind of no turning back <laughs> yeah once you get in too deep so I, th I think we've teased it out enough that's just Talk yeah. about what you found on yeah. on Harry Collis and why maybe why you think there wasn't that much already written about the man or already put together. So Harry Collis um, found out born in 1878 in England. A uh, couple references to him being a club maker and working um, in golf clubs, uh, Blackheath outside of London. Um, really 
nothing early on his um, on his golf history. He immigrated to the United States in 1899, was in New York, and ended up in Indianapolis in 1900. Um, at, at that time, the golf course, it was a country club links outside of Indianapolis, literally just a house where people would gather and go out. Some guys had uh, built two holes. And uh, in the early 1900s, golf was starting to take off. It was becoming a social sport. So he was brought in. He expanded that um, golf course, um, made improvements. And really between 1900 and 1905, throughout the state of Indiana, um, helped promote it. Um, he had uh, various uh, exhibitions um, that he would um, bring in and play um, against other, you know, well-known people. Um, and he's he, only what, at, at, when he's in French lick, he's 25, 20, um, 80. So 78, um, 20. Yeah. Early twenties, early twenties, um, went down to French lick. He was the pro down there. This would have been before Donald Ross had gotten in touch with the course and, uh, um, reached out to the, the, uh, the French lick historian, um, still kind of communicating on, on that. They don't have a whole lot. Um, ended up, uh, in Anderson, Indiana as a golf coach, um, was up in Fort Wayne teaching lessons up there, um, over in, uh, Logansport. This was a pretty interesting story. Started digging around and, uh, found out that he designed, um, Logansport in 1905. I called up the, the club, turns out it's the owner and, uh, the club pro and started kind of asking him questions and he had no idea. And I said, well, I think I, I think I got your guy. And he's like, really? But I got a couple of newspaper articles here. And I, I told him what it was. And at that time, it was a nine hole course out in the country. Um, um, but uh, I, so, so I always have I've stumbled on a number of courses that um, I, I'm always shocked. People don't know who laid it out or who was the original if I, you know, if you were the owner of a golf course, that would keep me up at night. I would want to know that story and I'd do the work you're doing. So are, when you tell somebody that, and they're the owner of a club, do you, are they like, thank you? You know, do they, do they say, what's, what's that reaction like? Yeah, he, he was like, you know, this is fantastic. So quick little backstory. He and his brother bought this course. Uh, it was kind of on the downside. And uh, when they showed up, the previous owner thought they were doing a favor and we're throwing stuff out. There was a big bonfire. They were burning stuff. And, and uh, his brother started grabbing some stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of that, um, any of that history was lost. I was able to, uh, I did go down and play the course and look through a, a, a box. There were some old score, scorecards and pictures, but most of it was from the 60s and uh, things about golf league and stuff, but not a lot of the history. So, you know, I, I, I got the newspaper articles and, um, uh, gave him a couple aerial photography photographs of the the course, and uh, he was appreciative. Unfortunately, when we went down to play, he was he was out of town. Um, but uh, they actually added another nine holes in um, the late '60s or the early '70s, and uh, had a little problem tracking down the original layout. I went on Facebook, found out there's a you know you're from Logansport if. And I just posted it out there. I said, look, I'm a novice golf, golf historian. I've played your golf course. I here, Here's some information. Anybody got it? And that was fascinating. More stuff wasn't about Harry Collis or the golf course, but who knew who, who worked there and played. And my mom was the club pro for, you know, and stuff. And then one guy said, here's the original layout. And that was great. Yeah, that was like, okay, so. Um, that is so cool. You're just going yeah. on to no. It's like if you don't ask, how do you you know? Yeah. How, how do you know? So, um, uh, same thing happened over at Brookwood um, Golf Club up in Fort Wayne. Um, that one was really hard. I found some articles from 1935 because there was an Indiana State golf tournament being played there, and in one of the articles there was a hole by hole description, and at the end it's a well that. R3 was uh, Harry's pet hole. That's the one he liked. And he was the uh, course architect. I went on their website. They said 1925. But I, when I got in touch with the pro and, and told them that, he was really happy. Um, and, and, you know, that I shared that information. Went over, played that golf course. 
and everything in the pro shop was 1925. But I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> now you know. Yeah. Now you know. So those those are probably um, the two. One other course, um, um, Audubon Country Club down in Louisville ran across an article that he had gone down and and did a couple of holds. Uh, reached out to those guys, got on a group chat, and they're like, no, we don't think so. We don't. And I said, well, here's this newspaper article. And the guy wrote back, writes back, oh, yeah, those holds are still there. Thanks. You know, and so we had a we had a little, little, little brief. Wow. I'm just working on that. So. Wow. And uh, I'm just digging, digging through the Internet, you know, finding this stuff. So. That's so. It. I think from uh, Indiana, if I recall, he ends up in Chicago, uh, which is, you know, home to our, our core market or our primary market for new clubs. So a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with this chapter of his life, uh, or at least, or at least the courses. So, you know, uh, Flossmoor where I think he had the most impact and, uh, and other area courses. So tell us about, you know, and and it's in your backyard, right? So you're able to dig probably a little bit more. Tell us about his stint in Chicago. So um, don't know really what brought him up, but 1905, he comes up to Homewood Country Club that was known at, at the time. Um, Which is, and, is that one of the... That is now Flossmore. Okay. All right. All right. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, I'm not quite sure why. Maybe Flossmore wasn't around then, but it was named Homewood Country Club. Um, Howard Tweedy, original design, late 1800s. Um, but he comes up as the greenskeeper and, um, and, and, and in charge of that. They, they had two fires um, at, the, at the golf club, the country club. Um, and under his watch, they actually moved and rebuilt the country club house where it is right now. So for the listeners that have played Flossmore, number four, uh, runs east and west. It's at the north end of the property there. If you look just by those houses, there's a long staircase. And that was the staircase for the original clubhouse. Really? So that so he, when they moved the clubhouse down to the present location, um, 16 became number one. Ah. A couple uh, redesigns. And then um, uh, number seven, which is the par three over the, over the pond. He designed and built that, that hole. And then he combined two other holes. He com- actually combined what is now 18. That was uh, two par fours. He combined that to make that, that par five. So he was out there um, 1905 to uh, the late uh, 19s, um, um, preparing the course for U.S. Open, U.S. AM, um, giving lessons, um, still kind of traveled around. There's a fantastic picture um, from 1911 out there. There was a, um, a, uh, a, a exhibition and there's a picture of what almost kind of turns out, I think, to be kind of the, the founding members of Chicago golf course. Um, Jim Donaldson is out there. W.K. Wood was a great amateur. Chick Evans. George Duncan, who became superintendent of the Chicago Forest Preserve, Cook County um, courses. Joe Davis, great golfer, um, really became the godfather of golf reporting in newspapers and and, uh, media. Um, Harry Collis was in that. Um, Jack Crook um, came over from uh, Grand Rapids. Cy Hess was over at Ravislow. Jack DeRay, another guy from Grand Rapids that came over. He and um, and Harry did some work. Tom Bendelow's in this picture. So it, it that one really went, okay, who's this guy hanging around with? And uh, and uh, yeah, sure enough, you know, he 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 was in the circle. He may not have been the A group, but he was he was in the B group. <laughs> he uh, you know, so we're sticking with Flossmore because. You know, Her- Herbert Tweedy's the name on the scorecard, and I- I'm sure it's the original layout. But you know, at, at this, um, you know, if-, if someone touches up a course, you know, I, I think even I'll use stick with Flossmore. I think uh, Dave Esler, you know, touched up a couple holes there in the 2000s, 
And, and I think his name gets added there because he got, you know, re- renovation of the year or a whole of the year or something. And I think it was 07. Um, and so he gets a shout out. Why, why do you think, and I could list this, some of these courses that he's on, you know, yeah. that he did work on. I don't want to say he's the, he's the architect because right. that wouldn't be fair to the original, but um, where he spent time and did those changes that you just referenced, his name is still not seen. So why is that? You know what? I don't know. I think uh, I think because somebody came in after him, Mr. Bendelow, Follis, some of these other guys that came in with uh, more of a uh, a pedigree and a, and a portfolio of courses. You know, looking going back, <clears throat> Olympia Fields. They had started that court. They had bought the property. They were developing. They were going on. The members were so eager to have a golf course. They hired him to lay out a temporary nine, which from my indications and communication with them is part of the South course or the number two course. Um, They can attribute some of that layout to him. Um, But then, you know, uh, somebody comes along with the name and and, kind of goes over, uh, tweaks it. Um, one change after another. Um, I, I think it was just back at that time when, you know, like in 1915, there were 700 courses. And by the time World War One, there was 3,600. People were doing this stuff. <laughs> and again, we know who the big names were, but, um, you know, who, who are some of these other guys that were just out there? A lot of them were mom and pop. You know, there's some guy decides he's going to build his own golf course and and off they go and um, they may hire somebody to come in and, and kind of help or. Um, yeah, but, it, yeah, when you, when you kind of go down the courses here in. Um, in Chicago, uh, I did uh, Cherry Hills, which is now Cro- um, Coyote Crossing over there in Homewood. That's completely that was completely uh, renovated. Um, just last fall, ran across a couple of newspaper articles at Chicago Heights Country Club. Uh, he designed that little nine-hole course. Now it's a public of course. Can't find anything. Um, been in touch with them, and, and, and they don't have any uh, a lot. Uh, Chickaming, um, we talked about um, plenty of work at Flossmoor, um, Harlem Hills out in in. Um, Rockford. Supposedly, he was at Freeport Country Club in Freeport, Illinois. Um, that was one reference in a book. Um, I'm uh, still digging, still digging on that one. I, I want to stick with the station of these these men of the time. You know, 1900, yeah. 1915. Uh, I I had Mike Young on a podcast that uh, recently that uh, you know golf course architect down in Georgia and. You know, he talked about kind of the untrained eye and, and obviously not taken away from, he's a golf course architect. He, he put his you know life into it, but um, you know, you think of old Tom and, and you think of it like the originators of the game uh, you know, they weren't, weren't exactly Tom Doak pedigree or, or Gil Hans pedigree when it comes to, you know, knowledge of this, this science and art. Right. And, and I, I really, that really struck me um it made me think about you and, and some of these other characters like Harry Collis, but the, the, we have the celebrity, the age of celebrity architect now, kind of like a celebrity chef. It's celebrity architect. You can charge more for their courses. You can, people are, you know, making it destinations, but there was all these names that you won't recognize who truly did magnificent work and created awesome golf. But uh, so I'm curious what, as you were, uh, finding all this out, you know, what was that station like? Because I, I know at, at that time, a lot of the golf course superintendents were also the head professionals. They may have also been the golf course architects. So they kind of wore all these hats. Um, what did you learn about that position uh, during this time? You know, those people like Harry Collins, not just yeah. Harry, but people in his roles. Yeah. Um, they were a jack all trade. Uh they, they had to, you know, do, do it all, almost all of it. Um, uh, a lot of them were from Scotland and Ireland and, and the UK and came over to uh, um, promote the game. Um, and 
you know, listening to the current golf course architects, these guys had tons of virgin land. And if they could see the vision and go that now, remember, this is all before even steam shovel, this was horse and, and skiff and, and guys and picks and axes and stuff like that. So you really had to figure out like, okay, where, how does this terrain go? How do I make these holes? What's going to be fair? What, what's going to, what's not. And um, I think they just kind of bred off of each other. They kind of looked and see what was happening and they had wealthy patrons that would support them and, and, um, and, um, you know, give them, the, give them those opportunities. So yeah, certainly not, not the celebrity chefs of the time, uh, though that there are, um, but you know, yeah, most, restaurants, most restaurants don't have a celebrity chef standing behind them and yet, you know, they're great restaurants so. or, or, or changing their grips, you know, yeah. like, like these guys yeah. were. And, yeah. and I, I, I didn't making think about clubs, that making clubs, doing, doing all that kind of stuff. With the with the uh, choice of land, I never thought about that. But you know, it's probably a hell of a lot easier to design a good golf course on you know your choice of a lot of acreage versus saying, "Hey, here's your you yeah, know, here's your your but box." Played, do it. We played enough golf on the south side of Chicago. I don't know why you pick that old good Midwestern clay with you know poor drainage and uh, but that was the way things developed at the time. So. So Collis, uh, in some of your research, I saw he went on to create um, Flossmoor Turf Nursery. Yep. So what's yep. a what is a turf nursery, and yeah. what did this business involve? So um, he hooked up with a guy, Harry Smead, who was over at Olympia Fields, and um, I think this was in the 1920s. So he, Harry had left Flossmoor. He's kind of out on his own. He was kind of designing some courses and uh, trying to find his way, making his business. And um, they started a, a, a turf business, um, bent grass stolons to, to plant on greens. And um, uh, it was, actually looks like it was just north of Olympia Fields, uh, country club um, was where primarily their 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 turf nursery was, and as I started to dig through history and look, uh, uh, he advertised um, for these Stalins, you know, and and the courses that that they were on. Uh, I just ran across an article from an um, advertisement from 1927 that that lists tons of uh golf courses where this grass was now that being said i don't know how many other guys were out there doing this i don't know if it was really popular uh clearly he wasn't the only one if you look in uh golf dom and uh, some of these other magazines at, at, at the time there, there's other people that were that were doing it but um reached out to um the state of illinois um, in their business, corporate business, and said, hey, somebody's got to have some archives around. And uh, that very nice lady online, and she's like, oh, yeah, let me look it up, you know, and here it is. And um, got the corporation papers from 1927 um, that, that show him and, and Harry Smead had started this. It was, it was viable and um, traveled around and, and sold their grass to, to golf courses. Either he would put it in or they would sell it and whoever the designer or the superintendent was that they would put that in. And he, he patented a strand of bent grass, right? Yep. Called it Flossmore bent grass. And, um, um, have some hearsay that it's still around. Um, uh, interesting kind of side story as I was going through this, maybe, maybe we'll get jumping ahead, but, uh, he designed Glenwood, he, Glenwood, golf course in 1926 and um as reaching around i was like well <clears throat> i'm just going to reach out to the gemsick family and see what happened and uh joe jr was uh, very kind answered my uh email and was kind of interested in what was going on and as i started to go through and look at at some of that stuff um i found out that harry collis had done some work at what was laramie country club which is now midway airport but joe's granddad caddied out there and played 
And then as I was starting to go through and found out some stuff, uh, Flossmore Bent is at Cog Hill. And uh, Joe Jr. was like, yeah, so it kind of comes up purplish in the, in, in the spring. You, you can kind of see it, kind of see it out there. So um, oh. still, still, still trying to figure out if, how much, if any, is still at Flossmore. Um, that there was a major remodel in 2017 by Ray Hearn, um, came out there and, um, didn't, didn't put it back to Harry, didn't put it back to Tweedy, but, but brought a lot of those influences back out and, uh, um, trying to see how much is still out there. You, you got my next daydream covered when I'm flying out of Midway. Because uh, I, I actually made this comment. We picked a friend up from the airport at Midway recently, and I made this comment to my wife that you know they must have really, whenever they built Midway, uh, dug it out of a neighborhood because it's one of the shortest runways in the U.S. and and you you really still feel the the neighborhood you know encircled around this this massive airport. Uh, it was a golf course. 1925. Um, it was. Um... It was a uh, Laramie golf course. Then it was also called Chicago Meadows golf course. Um, but that was outside of the city boundaries at that time. You know, and we didn't have a ton of airports. Um, so uh, there was, uh, um, you know, plenty of room and plenty of opportunity. And then as the city grew, um, it grew on a, on a grid pattern. And it was basically, a yeah, city block. Well, a little bigger, but. Yeah, I, I'm going to name drop some of these courses because uh, you mentioned sure. in, in before you make kind of your fa- final uh, life of Harry from Chicago on out. Uh, you know, you've mentioned a lot already, but I just when you when you sent me the list of courses he had worked on, he's not the architect of all these. Um, these are some of our member absolute favorites, like of all time. So, really? so on, on that list, you got Beverly Country Club, you got Olympia Fields, you got Meadowbrook Country yep. Club, which the, our members that have played it have said, this is my favorite golf course. I've heard that from multiple of them. Um, Phoenix Country Club. Our ambassadors out in Arizona still say Phoenix is a breath of fresh air in the Arizona golf scene. That's crazy. Newton Country Club. Uh, Denver Country Club. We got ambassadors that say Denver Country Club is one of their absolute favorites. And I just, I reached out to a guy and uh, he sent me a book that was just recently published and um, sent me a page and it, it, it goes hole by hole and he's still listed in this book um, to this day. Um, either the fairway or the green is uh, is a Collis complex. So yeah, wow. short one out there. And, and then Harry Smead, who is his business partner, it sounded like uh, Pine Hills in, in Wisconsin, right? Yep. And yep. that's another one of our, so I I'm saying this just to tie some dots together. I mean, it, it's, it's this connectivity of golf, right. And yep. uh, a lot of these places that we love, it's a subjective, you know, thing, golf course, architecture and courses you enjoy, but um, it's just neat to hear about someone that's not typically listed on the golf course who had had a hand in some degree to all these places. I think that's what surprised me uh, again, Huge explosion of golf, 1915, World War One. Who was designing this? But then all of a sudden, when it's like, oh my gosh, this guy was walking that ground, or he touched this, or he, you know, he contributed, uh, you know, to a, a Harry invented and patented a divot cutter. Um, I have a picture of it out of a catalog, seed catalog, but haven't found it. But you know, again, it, it's. It, Wait, but what's, there's, what's there's a divot cutter? thousands of other ones that were doing the same thing. So, but what's a what's a divot cutter? Uh, so it was an oval shaped divot cutter that uh, d- sounds like they just used it to be able to repair a divot, cut it out, reseed it. Um, had a wood handle. Um, that's all. That's all I could. That's wow. all I can really find out. Interesting. Um. So take us out on Harry. I mean, he, he, yeah. he died in, in, uh, you start with his obituary. So he died in Chicago. How did he spend those, those years? Where, where did he go from there? Yeah. So, uh, in the twenties, he was designing, you know, the, the, the golf courses, uh, he ended up out in Maryland, um, spent a lot of time out in Arizona, 
Um, um, San Marcos golf course start off as a nine hole the guy had designed that, but then Harry came back with, um, uh, Willie Watson and designed it into the 18 holes that it was gave lessons, played a lot of exhibition games, um, ended up in Wisconsin at the American Legion club in Wausau, which is now a tribute golf course, really cool, fun little nine hole golf course, ended up in Rhinelander, uh, neat little nine hole golf course that, that was up there. Um, and then kind of came back. Unfortunately, we, we ran into depression. Um, he did a stint at uh, Lincolnshire Country Club, the groundskeeper down there. He was down in Urbana, um, opened up a club down there. Don't know how much work he really had to do. I think he was more uh, a, a pro at that time and just kind of um, seemed to find work wherever he could. Went back to Flossmoor for a little while and then uh, designed Indian Hills, which is done in Forest Park. It's no longer in existence. The, the town kind of sits on that. And then in, um, in October of um, 1937, he passed away at his home. Um, awesome. Interesting note was uh, on the obituary, um, it was signed by Dr. Earl Madden. And I'd seen that that address or that name come up, and it was a, a, a an office building in Chicago, uh, 30 North Michigan Avenue. And uh, it turned out that Earl was Harry's stepson. Uh, Harry had gotten married. I don't know when and I don't know where, but the, Alice, his wife, had three children from a previous marriage. She was widowed and um, kind of started down that. That's a creepy trail. I mean, <laughs> you, you can find out about people by digging through newspapers and, um, um, you know, it's kind of fascinating, but then all of a sudden um, people are popping up that could still be alive and unrelated to him. So is that where you draw, is that where you stopped? Is that where you felt uncomfortable? I reached out out to one um, distant family member. Um, There was a brief acknowledgement and uh, I haven't heard anything back. So it's still in the works that, that just recent, that just recently happened. But yeah, that's, that's a, like, I know this is crazy, but you know, just, uh, just, just looking, just looking for information on the guy, you know, and seeing, seeing who he was and where he was. Um, he was, he's buried at uh, Mount Greenwood cemetery, just South of uh, uh, Beverly country club there uh, went out and found him one day. Um, wow. And it buried next to his wife, Alice. You have a really nice website, uh, Paul, that you put together, uh, dedicated to Collis, located at harrycollisproject.golf. Um, you're doing all this work. What, when, at what point did you say, you know what, we're going to build a website for it? Uh, that actually kind of came early on as I was collecting information. And I, I wanted a little bit of credibility as I started to contact people. Like, this, this is what I'm doing. I'm putting my name out there. I'm putting this, you know, this information. This is legit. I'm just not looking for a free round of golf or something like that. And I ran into an acquaintance of mine who has a website design. I said, you know, can I build a landing page? And she's like, oh, this is, yeah. And then she came out. She goes, this is really cool. This is, we'll put something together. Well, it wasn't until she said, you know, I got like 60 hours in this thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so give me the bones and I'll fill the rest in. And so uh, uh, I got to give a lot of credit to New View out of Crumpton, Indiana and Heather for her work. Uh, I'm, I'm putting this together. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's great. It, it, it's great that I do this, but, um, and, and so appreciative of this podcast. Somebody may hear this or look up something. They can go to that website and get in touch with me. Maybe they got some information. Maybe they got some golf clubs or a share story that they want to share. Um, you know, I, I kind of thought, well, it's just kind of run its course. And then you turn a corner and there's another newspaper article or there's something else that comes up that you hear. So uh, the gift that keeps on giving. What, what do you hope most people, what do, what do you want most people to know about Harry Collis or what do you want them to know most? I, th- I think a little more of my story and to go and look who designed your course or who designed the courses around you. Uh, what was happening? Look at it, you know, from a history uh, standpoint. 
and 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 just kind of gather that information. You never know who's going to want it, or um, you know, and just even personal insight. I passed a, a golf course every, almost every day. Never thought much about it. Found some information, digging around. Turns out it was Longwood Country Club in Crete, Illinois, formerly known as Casa Del Mar, and it closed. Never looked like a dog trot. Just I'm like, oh, you know, and it's like, man, you know, could have played it, could have, that, that, that's kind of where this is all accumulated from now, taking this information and, and, and doing a tour and going out playing as golf courses. Uh, is there, that, that's a great message on your whole project here, because I, I think a lot of just, again, the connectivity of this journey, we're all in, a, in, a, in our own golf life. And you know, sometimes people look at us funny when we're, you know, seeking out hidden gems and we're, uh, you know, going three, four hours out of our way to go play a golf course. Um, but it's that new experience for a lot of us that, that then, you know, connects you to the next course or connects you to the next person or place in, uh, in history. I mean, that, that's the story, right? That, that all of us are kind of in this together and, and you're just by doing what you're doing, you're connecting all those dots. Yeah. yeah and, th and that's what it is. I, I remember standing in the Chicago History Museum, uh, going through some information and, and uh, I'm like, I can't figure this out. I got the street address. And she's like, well, when's it from? I said, you know, 1911. And she goes, well, you got to remember that, 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 that changed the street numbering and the names of the streets. Uh, um, and so we looked it up and I found his house that he and I just went, wow. I, I said, I can't understand this. She goes, it's the chase. I'm like, what? She goes, it's the chase. And she pointed around and everybody else sitting in that room was digging into something, was chasing something, was looking for something. And I'm like, yeah. And, and Anthony Piapi says it. Too. It's about connecting the dots yeah. and just putting it together. You know, you and I show up on a golf course and, and we play and we get to know each other a little bit more, but there's more that kind of connects us together. And, and, and so I think that that's what that is. It's just kind of, this history is rich. It's deep and it's wide and it's fun. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's great. Is there any other, uh, story from this process that you wanted to share? I, I know I jumped around on questions. Is there any other Harry Collis story that you felt you wanted to, to get? Out um, I get, I get the, the one that was funny is, uh, Rick and I went out to Chickaming and, uh, we, we paid him a visit and, the first time somebody else besides Rick or I said Harry Collis, it was like, wow, you know, <laughs> okay, right, yeah, you know, that, that, that was just kind of a, kind of, kind of a fun moment, um, um, you know, kind of just a, a, a funny story. Um, I found a Ron Winton's golf book at the University of Chicago, and I stopped by one day, and I had to fill out a form and do an ID check, and it's in the special um, section and I went there and they closed and I got home and I looked at it and the, the book happened to be in a public library down the street from my mom. I said, hey, if you go in there, you know, see what happened. I go back to the university of Chicago. I fill out the paperwork again. I get there. got to sit. They got to pull it from the stack. I get home. My mom's like, Oh yeah, I was on the shelf. She texted me a bunch of <laughs> pictures and I was like, well, okay. You know, <laughs> so, see, it's just always that, that turn, where are you going to find the information? Uh, What's out there? What are you going to learn? Uh, the, the journey sounds, it just sounds like fun, Paul. It really does. I mean, yeah. if, if for you, you said, and this is going to stick with me. You said there's 20,000 of these guys out there who, yeah. who, who, if you're into golf, that they were doing similar to Harry Collins. Are you on to the next one after this? <sighs> um, I don't know how much more printer paper and toner ink that I have, but uh, yeah, there's plenty of tangents. There's a tangent. There was an indoor golf scene in Chicago, and I'm finding out throughout throughout the United States um, that these guys would show up for tournaments. The, the Chicago Athletic Association had an indoor uh, driving range. Um, they would play the Denver Country Club, and they had screens and different things that would happen that, 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 that you could play. Um, um, so how, wait, the, how does this work in the, that's a tangent. You can go down, um, some of these other guys that, that, that they worked on. I know, um, 
our, the past kind of talked with uh, Bill Diddle um, down in Indiana and over in Ohio. Bill worked on a, um, a Harry Collis course. So actually, I think he worked on Anderson. Uh, so, you know, it can just, I think I'm going to step back and just be the breadth, take in the breadth of it and, and just see the, the golden era in the early 1900s, just uh, uh, what was happening with that. Yeah, I, I think. Um, but make can... no doubt about it. If I get invited to a golf course, I'm, <laughs> I got historical aerials. I'm, I'm downloading the course. I'm looking up who was out there, what was going, who touched it. So maybe that, you're the you're the novice historians consultant from here on out. Because I yeah. I think I'll definitely be one of those those guys when I ever get free time back. Is I'm going to uh, to do this for my local courses that I grew up with or the ones that you know, I'm just curious about, and, uh, I will, you know, say this on the pod for people to know that you are more than accommodating when people have reached out for help on their side. Cause there's so many people I think that have helped you. And, um, and I look forward to whatever journey I come up with. And I hope more, more people do this stuff because I, I think it's really important. You, you look at, you know, what happened in the dark ages of golf. And, and I think a lot of the, um, uh, culprit there is memberships and municipalities and, you know, all these groups just not having the information and not caring to know what their roots are and why things were done a certain way. And who were the people that did it? You know, as guys that were starting turf nurseries and really uh, live and breathe in this stuff. And, and they weren't just talking about, you know, putting a fountain in or, <laughs> or trying to, yeah. uh, you know, cart path friendly, all that. It, it was just, um, if they had that information through the eighties, nineties and two thousands, I, I bet you we'd have some better golf courses. So don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. So I want to shift to another historical uh, golf figure, uh, Paul Wellman. Uh, <laughs> so where did you grow up? And, yeah. and I want to know what you were interested as a kid, what you were interested in as a kid. I was born and raised in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, uh, just kind of hung out on my street, had friends, swam, biked, played some baseball, but introduced to golf around uh, when I was probably about 13 years old. And uh, my dad played um, later in life. My mom played. Uh, my grandfather played. Um, in high school, I, I, I'd play with him out at, uh, out at uh, Golden Hackers, as we called it. It was Golden Acres in Schaumburg, Schaumburg uh, Golf Club now, William and Monroe design, but uh, it was just always Sunday afternoon. If we were home, there was a golf tournament. We were watching it. We were Arnie fans or Jack. And it was kind of always around, but it wasn't like demanding or it wasn't like highly sought after. Um, I caddied one year, summer, month <laughs> at Medina. Um, I think the woman's bag was as big as I was. And uh, <laughs> I got heat stroke and I'm like that, but forget this. I, I ain't gonna, I'm, I'm done with that. Um, kind of walked away during college, just really wasn't, wasn't there. Um, got out of college, got a job on the options exchange, met some guys, started playing golf then just, just something to do and, and, and to meet some people. Um, I, I played Flossmore. Didn't even, didn't even think twice, played it a couple times. Didn't even think twice about it or who was going on. Lived on Lincolnshire. Didn't, didn't think a whole lot about it, but it was always, always kind of around, um, was, was, was blessed to be a stay at home dad and, um, spend time with the kids. And then, um, as they grew up and, and, um, college and, and moved out, kind of started to get back into it, um, playing the game and, and, uh, you know, Midwest winter, might as well start looking at those books that somebody gave you as a gift or, um, see what was happening with that. And then I uh, heard your podcast and, um, the new club society really sounded cool walking courses and um, playing different stuff. And so, uh, joined a, a, a year ago. That's a little you, bit about I have a, uh, timely question for me personally. So you, when you were, uh, when you a husband and a father and, uh, did you find time for your golf game? It sounded like you, you said that word, you said, come back to it. So that means you yeah. must have left it. Well, did you so find it time to play golf? Funny. It was kind of funny. Uh, uh, trading one day and my wife called and she said, uh, Hey, the um, deadline's coming up for men's league. Uh, do, do you want to sign up? You know, and I kind of did the double take, look at phone, like, 
yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And so she she realized I liked that. Um, and I was playing on and off, um, you know, through that. So um, kept a small thread there, but, you know, weekends were swim meets and, and family time and, and doing that. But uh, when, when there was time, um, always kept it in it and always, always enjoyed it. Well, what do you think, uh, what is it about golf that kept it in that, that consistency for you for life? I think part of it was the camaraderie. Part of it was I could pick it up and put it down when I wanted to. Um, I never had a problem if I had some free time going out and if there was an opening on a threesome or twosome and playing with other people. I, I always just played my own game. I played the golf course, um, never had a problem with that. So um, I just think it was, if it, it, it fit at the time where I could kind of come in and go out of it as, as, as I wanted, always with my eye though, like, okay, there, there'll be time for more. And uh, I, I was always there. I, I, I like that balance. I was, I think I'm getting to that point in, in my own life where it's, it's, it's balance and uh, maybe I'm not going to be as good as I once was and that's okay. Yep. Uh, but I, I, it'll be there for me when I want it and when I need it. And that's really cool. Well, I want to ask you uh, another series of questions to, to wrap us up here today. It's our 19th soul. I've been doing this for our whole season of the podcast in 2021. It's 35 questions adapted from Marcel Proust. Sure. Uh, who's a French novelist. And apparently this is part of Vanity Fair too. I did not know that when, when yep. I pulled this off the interwebs, um, but I've adapted them for this, uh, this here questionnaire called the 19th soul, which is it's an attempt to get to the soul of the golfer uh, through 18 okay. questions. So right. Paul Wellman, are you ready? I am ready. And they're intended to be quick answers. So don't think too hard about these. No one's going to, okay. no one's going to grade you. Okay. Number one, when were you the happiest as a golfer? I think recently last year I played in a, uh, in a two day tournament and um, it went really well. I just, uh, everything was on the same page. I was in a happy place. My golf game was good. Didn't win, but uh, I was in competition. It, it all had kind of come together. So I, I was pretty happy. I was pretty happy with that. Number two, what's the scariest shot in golf? Well, sticking with the Harry Collis theme, I got to say uh, probably number 16 at Glen Woody. Uh, it's a tight drive down the right-hand side and then back over the creek. And I can do the, up to the, to the green. And the drive is usually okay, but it's that second shot trying to get into the green. And for me right now, it's probably one of the scariest shots. It's that elevated green, right? It's way yeah. up, way up there. Yeah. Kind of. Nice. Yeah. Number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house? <clears throat> Hopefully my cardiologist isn't listening, but I, I, I like a hot dog with mustard and relish and just a plain bag of chips and a diet Coke, maybe a Snickers. Um, but I mix that up with water and a bag of nuts every once in a while. Very Chicago answer. Uh, number four, what is the trait you most deplore in your own golf game? <laughs> I talk to other people's golf balls. <laughs> I, just, I, I remind myself on the tee box. Just shut up. Just, 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 it's not yours. Just, but inevitably I, I root for them. Try. Number five, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? That I look for in a playing partner. Yeah. I think, uh, 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 you know, they're going to play their game. I'm going to play my game, but, you know, camaraderie, let's talk some things out, see what's going on, strategize, have, have, have some fun, um, you know, choke <laughs> it up a little bit. That's a good one. What, uh, number six, what is the trait you most deplore in your playing partners? <laughs> uh, give giving me swing advice. Are you a pro? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> very Thanks. common, very common yeah. answer. Yeah. Number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? 
uh, I, I, I say my name a lot. Um, bad shot. Oh, Polly. Uh, <laughs> kind of talk to myself. So then probably just my name. Number eight, what golfing talent would you most want to have? Um, probably short game. Better short game. Number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession? Um, well, same with, with Harry Collis. I just, uh, I picked up a, a vintage hickory, uh, chef muscle bag golf course, golf club just recently. Uh, other than that, <clears throat> I accidentally took my, um, my 2012 Ryder cup, uh, armband when I marshaled, I ac accidentally took that home with me. So that, that, that may be one. What's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out? Um, probably, probably my suntan lotion, uh, though I should use it. It's, it, it's leaked. It's, it's cruddy. It's gathering all sorts of debris and stuff. So I should probably replace it and use it. Check out, check the expiration on it too. My, yeah. I, I yeah. never knew it expired. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. <laughs> I never knew that. My wife said, you know, that doesn't work, right? <laughs> Nine years old. Uh, number 11, what is your favorite occupation at the golf course? Not, not every golf course has this, but, but like a, a tournament director or somebody that would organize the, uh, not, not outings and events like that, but uh, uh, I, I, I like the behind the scenes, uh, you know, organizing and putting that, putting that stuff together uh, uh, or a superintendent. Right. I mean, golf course architect. Number 12. Have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? I have not asked for their autograph, but I have asked for their picture. And that was with uh, Mr. Palmer down at Bay. So, so you have a picture of Mr. Palmer. I have my picture taken with him. Oh, that's very cool. Number 13, what historical golf figure do you most relate to? I don't know. I guess a little bit of everybody, but. Um, Not Harry Collis? Did you, you know, find anything in common with him? I know a man? lot about him, but I don't know a lot about his personality. So I don't want to. Um, I, I would like to think we were kindred spirits in golf and golf architecture, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, number 14, what is your greatest golf regret? <clears throat> I, I really don't have one. Everything happens for a reason. You know, one door closes, another one opens. So not, not, not too many, nothing. 15, what is your favorite hole in golf? My favorite hole in golf. The next one. Great answer. Just, just like playing it, par five, par four, carry, bunk, whatever. Okay, we're, we're on the next one. 16, what's your least favorite hole in golf? Um, I play out at Whitehawk, and on the black course, the first hole is extremely tight, driving range on the left, trees in the other parallel golf course, golf hole on the right, and uh, into a prevailing western wind. This is really tough. That, that I don't mind playing that nine in a rotation, but to start there, that's probably. And down the home stretch, number 17, if you had what, well, first, do you listen to music on the golf course? I don't save, you, save it for afterwards. I, enjoy the, enjoy the serenity, enjoy the golf course, enjoy nature, the conversation. So I don't mind, but I don't. So if you had, we'll, we'll change the question for you slightly then. If you had to listen to one song in the car on the way to the golf course for the rest of your life, what song is that going to be? No. Um, I'd probably say something by maybe Steely Dan, something with a, a, a beat, um, nothing pounding, but just, just good rhythm, something along, something along that, Roxy music, uh, something along that line. It's got to have a rhythm. I'm, I'm yeah. with you on that. Yeah. And then 18, final question. If you had a motto, maybe you do, uh, what would it be? You know, something along 
just do it or now or seize the day. Uh, they are gifts and you make out of it what you're given. And, uh, you know, just uh, don't give it for granted. Take advantage of them. Play golf. Play golf and research your your unknown architects and yeah. find out more. I and so, uh, Paul, this was really fun for me. I I was deeply curious in what the hell you've been up to <laughs> with all this. And for everybody listening, the the website is harrycollisproject.golf. Uh, you can reach out to Paul there. Is that right, yep. Paul? Yep. There's an online forum. Love to hear your story, regardless of it's uh, hairy or not. And uh, and connect with them, and and we just really appreciate you coming on, sharing sharing this adventure with us, and uh, we'll maybe do an update once you get to one of these other twenty thousand local architects that that we need to tell a story on. I I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at New Club Golf. This episode was produced by Mark Caldwell with research assistance by Jim Sitar. The bag drop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners. The Evan Scholars Invitational is our official partner of this year's Hangout at Canal Shores. The future stars of the PGA Tour return to the Glen Club on May 27th through 30th for the Corn Ferry Tour's Evan Scholars Invitational. General admission to this event is complimentary this year, courtesy ServPro of Glenview. Fans looking for an upgraded experience can purchase tickets to The Hangar, a premium spectator venue with food and drink included. For more information and to secure your tickets, visit esinvitational.com, and I will see you at the Evans Scholars Invitational.